0: the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You have tuned in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. Connect with us for powerful, life-changing teaching and guest interviews that will inspire you with hope and equip you with the knowledge and skills needed to fulfill your destiny in the kingdom of God. Now, here is Glenn Blakeney.
1: But what God has given to us is a ministry of teaching the word that imparts revelation and activates demonstration. So the reality is, let, let me just put it this way. You can have a demonstration without revelation. You know that. Any, any person who doesn't know Jesus can experience a miracle, right? Right. I mean, I've, we've seen that many, many times. I've seen blind eyes open, crippled people walk, and and uh, people that don't know the Lord Jesus. Uh, we, we've seen, you know, incredible things happen with people that don't know Jesus. And those are those are really miracles and signs and wonders. And they're, they're a powerful way in which the Lord moves because his intention and his purpose is to arrest our attention. I love Acts chapter 8, verse 6. It says, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So in the scripture, you'll read that repeatedly, hearing and seeing. You know, Jesus said to, to, to the messengers that came from John the Baptist, go and tell John the things that you both see and hear. So it's the show and tell gospel. Sometimes it's the tell and show God sometimes just tells, and then sometimes then he confirms the word with signs and wonders. Other times he just does a miracle, and then a message comes out of that miracle. If you you follow Jesus' ministry, you'll see that very clearly. That's how he did things. But you can have a demonstration without a revelation, but you'll never see lasting transformation without revelation. Because transformation is what happens inside us to change us, so that we can continually walk in that place of experiencing the blessing and the power of God. Jesus didn't do miracles. He lived in a miraculous realm. There's a difference between seeing a miracle or, or anything else, you know, occasionally. Once in a while, even, even once a week. As in living in a place of miracles. Miracles. The resurrection realm is where Jesus lived, and that is the place where the supernatural became natural, correct? Because he did so many miracles that the Gospel of John says that if every one of those was recorded and written down, then there wouldn't be enough books that could be written to, to accurately uh, you know, just, just record what had been done, and secondly, there wouldn't be enough libraries to contain the books, Try to wrap your mind around that. But that's what it says in the Gospel of John. So let me say this. If you want to see, move into a place where you experience miracles, because we need to have miracles happen in our lives. I want to see miracles on a daily basis. I'm getting close. I'm getting close to seeing miracles happen on a daily basis. Let me, let, let me just... Just summarize it from the Scripture, and then, then I'll tell you a couple of stories, and then we'll get into the Word. Number one, okay, here we go. You can't have transformation without revelation. You can have demonstration without revelation, but not transformation. How do I know this? Listen, in Psalm 103, the Bible says this. It says, the children of Israel, they saw or they witnessed God's acts. But Moses knew his ways. Now, a lot of people want to come and see someone, you know, a conduit, a vessel through whom God is able to flow supernaturally. They want to see that. But let me tell you something to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not his ideal for you. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, sure, the disciples followed him, and and, uh, they they saw him do miracles, signs, and wonders. And that was part of the discipleship process. But there came a point and a time where they stepped out in it to themselves, correct? He sent them out. They did it. So God wants you to live in that place. But it comes from understanding the truth of the Word of God. And everything that we need is in the Word of God. Everything we need to live and to transition into that place of supernatural power is in the word of God. And, and I get somewhat irked at times when I see Christians who, who have no regard or very, are very low regard, and yes, some even no regard for the word, for the scripture. Because you, you cannot do this thing that he's called you to do without knowing the word. You've got to know the word. We were in a meeting not too long ago um, with Mike Bickle. And in that meeting, Mike Bickle made this comment. He said, he said, my major concern for the emerging generation is that they do not know the word of God the way they need to know the word of God. Now, here's somebody who's seeing a prayer movement like what? Probably unprecedented in the history of North America, of this nation, potentially. I know there were some great prayer movements in the past. There, there's, there's a lot of teaching, but there's a sense in what he's saying if we're going to really see this thing sustained and, and perpetuated to the, to the next generations, then we're going to have to understand the word. And, and not, by, not by just, you know, reading it but by experiencing it you read it but you experience it it's something that comes alive in you because you can read the word of god and be dead in fact jesus said of the pharisees he said you diligently study the scriptures and these are the very scriptures that testify of me but yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life in john chapter five that's what he said so we have to recognize what God is doing. So let, let, let me just share with you the way the Holy Spirit works, and I believe what he's doing in this age right now is he's, he's setting up those who will help relay a foundation in the body of Christ that we can build for the next major move of God. And if you, if you want to kind of look at it in, in terms of imagery, of the Old Testament it's, it's like a coming together of the Ezra and Nehemiah anointing. Because Ezra was a teacher. Nehemiah was a master builder. Paul was a teacher in the New Testament. And Paul said that he is a master builder by the grace of God in 1 Corinthians 3. In other words, an apostle is a master builder. The Greek word used there is, is a word from which we get architect. Architect. So we're building something that is going to stand. And the way it's going to happen is we get in the Word, and the Word gets in us, and we, we begin to understand the Lord because Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life, correct? He said in First Cor- Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he said, the kingdom of God is not in word but in power is what he said there. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 is the one where he said in demonstration. So the kingdom of God is not in word. It's not in logos is what he said in the Greek, but it's in dunamis. It's in power. But does that mean that there's no teaching, there's no preaching? Absolutely not. But see, it's not just a message because Jesus said the words that I speak to you, they're spirit and life. So the true word of God when it gets, it's not just that we get in the word, the word gets in us. There will be a release of power. There will be a release of glory. And you're going to experience that tonight by God's grace. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Somebody believes it. Okay. So what should, what should I tell you? We're at, let me tell you a couple stories. Okay. Um, oh, we were just in uh, Hackleburg, Alabama. That's near Hamilton, Alabama. You know where that is? That's where the ramp is, if you're familiar with the ramp. And uh, we were invited to minister in this church. It's an amazing thing. It's a town of 1,600 people. Two years ago, it was totally leveled. This whole town was leveled by a tornado. Mile-and-a-half-wide tornado ripped right through the center of the town, destroyed every church, almost every home. The only business they had there is uh, Wrangler Jeans, and it destroyed that facility, and literally it was raining blue jeans in Tennessee. The tornado carried blue jeans, and it was raining in people's backyards. That's I mean, the, the, the um, high school was totally destroyed. They still don't have a high school. They, when we were there, they dedicated the new, the new Wrangler building, and the church that we were at was literally, we were there on the second anniversary of the destruction. We had no idea when we went there that it was the anniversary of this, this tornado, this horrific event. But while we were there during a weekend, the wind of the Holy Spirit began to blow. <laughs> and it wasn't a destructive wind, but it was a wind that literally imparted life. And the church has kind of become the centerpiece of the community because there aren't any buildings, there isn't a school now or that that they can meet in, and and they build a gymnasium. And so let me just tell you that on the final night that we were there, that we decided to have a youth event, a meeting for the youth. And uh, they invited all the youth, and there was a, a, a lot of youth that came that didn't know the Lord. And the power of God moved in that place to the point that Almost every one of these kids was laid out on the floor under the power of the Holy Spirit, and at least 50% of them had never been to church and didn't know the Lord. But they said, oh my gosh, what is this? Instant healings were happening. One young lady ripped off her cast on her foot. Her leg was broken, and she was instantly healed. People that were, you know, I mean, some pretty, pretty bad dudes were getting healed of things. Miracles were happening. Um, just, just instantaneous things were happening. But the bottom line is it resulted in salvations that the, that people gave their life to Jesus Christ, which, of course, is the greatest miracle. Amen? Amen? Jesus said that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and walk. So it's, it's an attestation of, of the power of the gospel. So, so we saw that happen. But here, here's, here's the most moving part of the whole weekend. There, were, well, there was a young man, he was about 17 years of age, and uh, what had happened was he had been driving a, a four-wheeler and had a, had a younger boy on the back of the four-wheeler. He did not see a vehicle come, and he pulled out in front of this vehicle, and this boy, this young boy about seven years of age was killed. Can you imagine the guilt in and, and all that he, he was dealing with? Well, that night, he had no idea. He was invited to come out to the meeting, and the, the older brother of the deceased child also came out that night. Same place. They not talked to each other. You know, they, it, was, it was a very difficult situation. But that night, the power of God hit that place. Both of these kids were laid out literally under the power of the Holy Spirit for like 30 minutes or longer. God brought a healing and a restoration to them. Their individual lives. The young man that was carrying all this guilt, he also had an addiction issue in his life. He was completely liberated. He he went home and he told his mom what had happened to him. He had been changed. The guilt was removed, and but there was a literally a reconciliation that took place between these two families as a result of what God did. Isn't that awesome? In a community like that, I'm telling you that it's the power of the gospel that Jesus is setting things up all over the place. Amen? All right, let me tell you. I can tell you a lot of big stories, but I love the little stories too. Here's another quick story. Just um, two Friday nights ago, we were um, doing uh, some teaching down in Venice, and uh, at the end of the night, there was a young lady there, and uh, she had been invited by one of the people that's part of our, our team that we're developing right now to launch her ministry down there. And uh, he, he invited her to come. And at the end of it, she, had, she wanted prayer because she, she had his drug addiction. So we laid hands on her, Lynn and I, and most of the people had left and were gone. And we laid hands on her, and the power of the Holy Spirit hit her, and she went down. She's not a Christian. She went down. She was, she was literally laying on the ground. And as soon as she went down, I had a picture in my mind, and I saw her on a bicycle. She was riding this bicycle. She, she went so far down the street. She got off the bicycle, and she literally laid it down. She walked away, and she walked into darkness. Now, I just saw her fade into the darkness, I, I knew that the darkness thing that wasn't good. And then I, I, I said, I heard the Holy Spirit say, Tell her it's time to get back on the bike. So I told her the story. At first, she said to me, Well, that's really cool. You know, years ago I used to be, I used to know Jesus and went to church, but for years I've not been going to church and I've not been doing well and I have this issue. And then she stops and she says, Oh my God. She says, Several weeks ago, I was riding my bicycle down the street, and I had been off drugs for eight months. I'd been clean for eight months, and I ran into this drug dealer. And she said, I literally got off my bicycle, put it down, walked over to where he was, and then I got addicted to drugs again. I got back on drugs again. So the exact thing that I saw was exactly what had happened to her. So she... she Said, and I said to her, so God says it's time to get back on the bike. She goes, you know what? She says, I never have been on that bike to this day. And I said to her, where were you going? She said, I was going to church. I was going to church. And and God, so, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit showing her that God knew exactly what was going on, you know, gave her hope. And, 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 a, and a renewed determination to follow God. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible. And uh, if you have a Bible, go to Exodus 17. If you don't, then you can just listen to me. Exodus chapter 17. Let me just tell you one thing um, while you're turning there. Here's what we're going to do. Tonight, I'm going to be speaking on something that I've really never preached on before. And uh, I believe... You know, the things that a lot of times what God shows me comes out of, it comes by revelation, but it also comes out of my relationship with him in in the sense that it's something I'm going through personally, or I've had to deal with that. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we go through things so that we can learn ourselves and then also help others. So I'm going to be talking about um, destroying the deadly spirit of Amalek And I want to be sharing with you, kind of give you some revelation tonight as to what it is that's hindering you from moving into your destiny, from experiencing everything that God has promised you in his word. Because I really believe that there are a lot of Christians that are really struggling. They're not at the place that they need to be. And if you like this message, here's what I'm going to do. Go by the table before you go home tonight. We have a piece of paper. It says, Awake Nations. Put your name and your email address. And I'm going to email you a four-part teaching series on MP3, absolutely free, that will help you understand what it means to enter rest. Uh, God has given me a word recently. We've been ministering this in a lot of places, and and the the results have been phenomenal. Exodus chapter 17, starting at verse number 8. Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book. Now listen to this. And recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, let me just say, depending on what translation you have, there could be a little bit of a a variation there in that last verse. But um, I want you to understand. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll explain that tonight. Okay, let me just give you the historical backdrop here, okay? What had happened was Israel literally had been delivered from the hand of their enemies, and by signs and wonders, God demoralized and decimated the most powerful nation in the world. And he freed his people from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So now, the Israelites are on route to their promised land. God is leading them forward using his servant Moses and of necessity their journey requires that they go into the wilderness now I'm not sure if they fully understood that they would be going into the wilderness or not but Moses knew that because if you read Exodus 6 he actually goes before Pharaoh and says God says let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness Now, a lot of us, we want to move into that promised land, don't we? But we have to realize that the wilderness is part of the journey. God had a purpose in bringing them into the wilderness. In the wilderness, he was going to teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, when they were in Egypt, they were in the place of not enough. When they would move into Canaan, they would be in the place of more than enough. But in the wilderness, they would have just enough. So before you can move from prophecy to destiny, you've got to learn God is your sufficiency. Because if you don't learn that lesson, you will never be able to stand in that place of victory. It's a place where God prepares you for what it is he's called you to do. It's a place where you learn dependence upon God. And you know what? One of my favorite scriptures in this hour, and it's one of those scriptures that, frankly, it's, it's such an appropriate and applicable truth right now to the body of Christ that is scary. It's 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9, and here's what it says. It says, yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves. That we might not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. See, there's a place that God has been bringing his people in this season, and it's kind of like he's taking us back into the wilderness again because he's saying, I am about to pour out my spirit. I am about to display my glory, and the nations are going to see me in such a powerful way, but before I do this, I need a people that are fit habitations, a people that are prepared to be vessels of honor. So I'm going to take you into the wilderness where I can prepare you for my purposes. And the truth is, beloved, that the more powerful the promotion is, often the more profound and even painful the preparation process is. It's a place where God says, I need you to stop trusting in yourself 100% and learn to depend upon me. Because when you get that right, because, see, the devil is a defeated enemy. He's already, those principalities and powers have already been destroyed and and, and literally rendered powerless by Jesus at the cross. So why is it that we still struggle against spiritual adversaries? Because we have not yet learned to move into the resurrection realm. The sentence of death is what he's saying I'm wanting to see take place in your life. Because a lot of times, you know, we we think the sentence of death, that sounds terminal, doesn't it? But in actuality, what often we think is termination is merely transition. Because God is saying, I'm not trying to kill you in the sense that I'm trying to kill you, but I'm, I'm trying to, put to see your, your, your self-dependence, your self-will, and your fleshly desires put to death in order that you may transition into my glory and see my power. So the children of Israel are now, literally, they had they'd come out of Egypt, they had seen God's powerful hand operate, ten plagues. They had crossed the Red Sea, where the most powerful military in the world was destroyed overnight. And here they are, just a few days into their wilderness journey, and out of nowhere, they're attacked by a people that are called Amalek, or the Amalekites. And such a threat to his people was the Amalekites that God said he will utterly blot out the remembrance from under heaven. See, the children of Israel were ruthlessly attacked by these people. And the purpose for them attacking them was it was a preemptive attack for the express purpose of preventing them from moving into their destiny.
0: Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that with the American Family Insurance Home Quote Tool, you can easily design a customized policy for your dream home right from the comfort of your couch. And fun paint fact, there are over 150 shades of white, like Hello White, Fluffy Bunny, Eggshell. They get it. Explore the AmFam Home Quote Tool at amfam.com home to learn more about your policy coverage options. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. American Family Mutual Insurance Company has signed its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Products not available in every state
1: if you if you study there's there's a there's a guy by the name of Flavius Josephus he's a 1st century jewish historian he wrote a book called the antiquities of the jews in that book it's basically his paraphrase of the bible he says that the purpose for the amalekites attacking israel in the wilderness is that They knew that once they got into Canaan, they would be too strong and too powerful, and so they were trying to take them out while they were still weak and feeble and just recovering from that place of of getting out of Egyptian bondage. Because you gotta remember that when they were in Egypt, they were slaves, correct? And so as slaves, they had lost the will to fight, they they had no more their morale had been beaten out of them but not only had they lost their will to fight but they had lost the skill to fight. So now God says I have to build you back up again rather than just take you from that place of slavery to the place where you have abundance I have to build up your faith I have to strengthen your resolve and teach you how to walk in confidence and in authority as my children. So he brings them into the wilderness as the boot camp, as the as the proving ground, so to speak. The Amalekites realize what's going on, and so they attack for the purpose of destroying them. But you know, the Bible says that as a result of Moses' hands being held up by Aaron and her, that Joshua and the Israelites prevailed in the battle, correct? But the interesting thing is God says, I want you to write this down in a book, Moses, and I want you to make sure that Joshua hears it. That I'm going to utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And it says that, the, the, the name of that place was called Jehovah Nisi, which literally means that, that hands were raised up. Depending on what translation you have, it might say that hands were raised up towards God, like the NIV says, like, like reaching out towards God in rebellion. You see, in the Hebrew language, the, 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 the number 10, which is the equivalent for the, for the Hebrew letter Yod, is a word which always speaks of an outstretched arm. But depending on what the context and what other numbers it's coupled with, you you find out the significance. It can speak of hands raised up in worship. It can speak about hands raised up in rebellion. It can speak about hands raised out to help the poor, depending on the context. So the idea here is that there were hands that were raised up. Now, here's the interesting thing. It's It's a difficult thing to translate. So some scholars say it was like hands of rebellion raised up towards God. And others say it was like hands of prayer or worship or dependence raised up towards God like Moses' hands. But I believe the reality is that we see two different responses here of outstretched arms. The arms of Moses are raised up toward God, speaking of dependence, speaking of worship, speaking and trusting in the Lord. But the Amalekites, literally, their arms being raised out was defiance and rebellion against a holy God. So the Lord speaks and he says, I want you to remember Amalek. In other words, even though Amalek attacked you and, and in the wilderness, he said, I'm not done with him yet. He said, well, you, you're going you're gonna to remember this, that I'm going to literally, utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And it literally says that God will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are there any Amalekites on the earth right now? Physically, we, we don't know that there are any that are alive, just like there aren't any Canaanites. But yet God says, from generation to generation, I'm going to wage war against Amalek. So who, who was this Amalek? Who were these Amalekites? Genesis 36:12 says Amalek was the grandson of Esau. The Amalekites were literally a nomadic tribe's people. In other words, they they didn't have a city of their own. They, They wandered in the wilderness and in the peninsula of Sinai between Israel, what is Israel today, and Egypt. They were a powerful people. A very powerful people. Numbers twenty four twenty says that when Balaam looked at Amalek, it says he took up his prophetic utterance and said, Amalek is the foremost of the neighboring nations. They were a powerful people. Their name also means this a people that lick up. But there's another meaning to the Hebrew word. Amalek. No king. Malek is the Hebrew word for king. Ah is an antecedent, it negates. No king. The Amalekites were a people that said no king. We don't want to come under any type of authority. We don't want to submit to the lordship and the the supreme authority of God Almighty. So the Amalekites, let me say to you, They represent a spiritual power and principality of wickedness that is still at work today with an assignment of preventing the people of God from moving into their promised land. What is your promised land? What is your inheritance as a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, a believer in the new covenant. Well, as Christians, we are on a journey, but unlike the Israelites, we're not going to a geographical location. Rather, we are headed to a spiritual condition known as rest. Canaan, the promised land, was a type of... And shadow of the rest that we inherit in Christ Jesus. If you study the the, the uh, writings of the Old Testament and in, in the Pentateuch, particularly in Deuteronomy and Exodus, you're going to see there that Canaan, the Promised Land, the land of milk and honey, is also referred to as the place of rest. For example, in Deuteronomy. Chapter 12, verse 10, it says, but when you cross over the Jordan, dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about. So Canaan is a type and a shadow of the rest that God wants you and me to experience in the new covenant. Jesus said in Matthew 11:28 28 and 29, come to me all you who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let me just use by illustration the Old Testament type and just show you how it relates to us today. Let me give you three characteristics of the Old Testament type of rest and how it it translates into our lives today in the spiritual. Number one, Canaan was a place of experiencing the fullness of God's provision and covenant promises in their lives. The place of experiencing the fullness of God's covenant blessing and all of his promises in your life. Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 9. For the Lord your God is bringing you into good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. It's a place where you experience everything. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. In Mark chapter 6, verse 51, the same Greek word that's translated more abundantly in, in John 10, 10 is translated beyond measure. So the life that he's caused us to experience is a life beyond measure. A life that we cannot contain. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Not according to the power in heaven, but the power that works in us. Secondly, Canaan represents a place of safety from our enemies where we experience peace and freedom. Again, Deuteronomy 12:10. when you cross over the Jordan, you dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety. Thirdly, it's a place of habitation, not visitation. What do I mean by that? The length of the journey is to be relatively short in comparison with the time spent in the destination. You understand that it was never God's will that the Israelites would spend the majority of their days in the wilderness. He did lead them into the wilderness. There was a purpose of them being led into the wilderness. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. But the end result, like in Jesus' life, was that they would return in the power of the Spirit. But they Extended their vacation time in the wilderness to 40 years. That was never God's original intention. So, what I'm saying is, today, saints of God, we have so many believers that are camping out in the wilderness. We have churches that are in the wilderness. We have businesses that are in the wilderness. We have families living in the wilderness. We have ministries that are in the wilderness. But God wants to take us out of the wilderness into the promised land. The wilderness is a place that we pass through, not a place where we camp. How many of you if you knew you had, you know, a, a week vacation time would would plan your vacation where it would take you 3 days to get there and when you get there you got 1 day and then 3 days to drive back home Come on what type of god do you think we serve that would keep us in the wilderness all of our lives It's not his will He wants us to learn those things that we need to learn, but he wants us to learn quickly so that we can move out of the wilderness into that place where we experience the fullness of his provision and covenant promises, and we dwell in safety from our enemies and experience his peace and freedom. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Colossians 2:17 says that Jesus literally fulfills the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. What do I mean by that? Well, let me just say this. Jesus came to give us what? Salvation, correct? His name means Jesus that he might what? Save his people from their sins. Let me explain something to you about salvation. I don't mean this in a wrong way. I'm just going to say it. But a lot of us as believers have not fully grasped the profound significance of our salvation. The word salvation in the Greek language is soteria. The, the, the verb form is sozo. And sozo is translated to save. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's also translated in In the book of James about the salvation of your soul, speaking to Christians, and when he's speaking about the salvation of your soul, he's not saying, Christians, you need to get saved. That doesn't make sense, but he's saying the word soul literally means, is, is the Greek word from which we get psyche or psychological. So he's saying you need to have your soul saved, your mind, your emotions, your will, all of that needs to come under the, the lordship of Jesus Christ. You need to be saved that way. Because God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Now, the the word sozo is also translated at least twice in reference to a physical healing. The woman who had the issue of blood, Jesus said, woman, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has sozo you. The man who was who was at the gate beautiful the crippled man who was instantly healed the same thing your faith has sozo you but let me tell you that john g lake would teach that salvation literally is a triune experience spirit soul and body and it's just as much God's will that you be healed of your sickness than you be saved in your spirit, that your spirit be regenerated, that your sins be forgiven. And it's just as much God's will that you live in freedom in your mind and in your emotions than it is in your spirit. That's what he taught. Now, if you want to argue with somebody, then you can tell me you want up on him. If you have more than 100,000 documented healings in five years, I'll listen to you. But if you don't, that's what John G. Lake had. The notches on his belt. I did some studying. Here's what I found out about the word salvation, soteria. I dug deeply and I found out that the word soteria, in translated in Greek, in particularly in classical Greek, like Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, all those guys, that the word. For salvation is translated, are you ready for this? To be free from the harassment of an enemy. Salvation means to be free from the harassment of an enemy. And let me give you a clear scriptural precedent for this. When Jesus showed up, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, who was a priest, the Holy Spirit hit him, and he began to prophesy in Luke chapter 1. And here's what he said in verses 71 through 75, speaking of Messiah, speaking of Jesus, that we should be saved from our enemies and the hand of all who hate us that he would perform the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Listen to this. Are you ready? Put your seatbelt on. To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Salvation is a complete emancipation and deliverance from the hands of our enemies so that we can serve God without fear in holiness and in righteousness all the days of our life. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus went to the cross For us to experience. But the devil doesn't want you to know that. And even if you know that. He's going to fight you. You remember. Daniel was praying right. And there was a. Principality. Called the Prince of Persia. In the atmosphere. So powerful. That even Gabriel was unable to break through. Gabriel couldn't get through. So God sends Michael to fight this principality to clear a pathway in order that Gabriel can get through. You see, there is a battle that takes place. And the spirit of Amalek is still at work today. You see, the Old Testament peoples, I believe, represent a spirit that is an operation in the church today, preventing us from moving forward. Ephesians 2.2 says, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. You see, God says, I'm going to be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let me tell you that Numbers 24.20 says that Amalek is a principality, not just a demon, A principality, a strong man. Amalek was first or principal among the nations. See, Amalek is a power and principality that resists those that would dare believe and step out in faith and enter the rest of Christ. See, the Amalekites were nomadic people that had no city. They wandered continually in the desert. The spirit of Amalek wants you to live aimlessly and wander continually in the wilderness. Same old mountain, again and again. Lord, why is it that I'm not moving out? I'll tell you why. Because the spirit of Amalek has an assignment of locking you into the wilderness so that you will never cross the River Jordan and enter your promised land. The spirit of Amalek is bent on keeping you in the place where you're always looking to the future fulfillment of God's promises and never experiencing it in the present oh there's the promised land I see it one day we're going to get there and when the children of Israel tried to cross over you can read this I I don't have time to get into this give me two minutes and I'm going to turn it back to pastor when the children of Israel tried to come out of the wilderness remember that 12 spies were sent in what took place Ten came back. We can't do it. There's giants in the land. Two had the report of the Lord. And later on, the ten, when they realized what they had done, they they literally said, you know what? We regret that we said that. We're going to go up. We're going to do it. And God said, no, no, no. Don't you dare go. Because if you go, the Ark of the Covenant is not with you. And what takes place is... They literally move forward and Numbers 14, verse number 45 says that the Amalekites dwelt in the mountain, came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. So here they were trying to move into their destiny and the spirit of Amalek is literally around the borders trying to prevent them from moving forward. It's a spirit that works in you to prevent you from moving forward. Let me close with this. Deuteronomy 25, at the end of the 40 years, they're about to, sh- to cross over the River Jordan and to go in and possess the land. What takes place is God says in verses 17 through 19, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he's giving you to possess as his inheritance, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. Listen, what is God saying? God said, I've unfinished business with Amalek. He said, I'm gonna blot out Amalek, but he said, actually, it's you. You're gonna do it. But here's the deal, why is it that God didn't allow it to happen in the wilderness? Why is it, did he need a piece of real estate? No, because Canaan represents a type of rest. What is rest? Rest is a place where we no longer trust in ourselves, but we rest completely in what Jesus did at the cross and we, we lean not on our own understanding. We don't do things the way we want to do it. The Bible says in Hebrews four, that when a man ceases from his works, just as God did from his, he shall enter that rest. Does that mean that we don't do good works? No, 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 Ephesians 2 7 says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. But the good works that we're called to do aren't our good works, they're his good works. So we have to come to the place where we understand John five nineteen, which says, like Jesus said, what well, the son can do nothing of his own, but whatever the Father does, so the Son does likewise. In other words, we are led by the Spirit. We don't move in the flesh. We wait upon God, and when you can't move forward, let me tell you what you do. Are you ready? You worship God and praise him, and either he moves and literally creates an opening for you, or he speaks to you and gives you a strategy. But a lot of times what we do is we say things like this. You know, God helps those who help themselves. But let me say God help those who try to help themselves. Because the reality is when we try to do that, then we become like Abraham and we birth Ishmael's. There's a place of full surrender called rest. A place where we move into the authority that God has for us and we experience what it is he wants to do in our lives. And our enemies cannot stand before us. Proverbs 16, seven says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace. The enemy cannot prevail. There's a place that God wants us to move into. What is it that's holding you back? The enemy mocks. He says, you know what? You're not gonna be healed. You're gonna live with this all your life. The enemy says, you're never going to get free from this thing. Your kids are never going to serve the Lord. You're never going to experience that promise. Tell him he's a liar in the name of Jesus.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. To learn more about us, including how to connect to our kingdom community, please visit our website, awakenations.org. Again, that website address is awakenations.org. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so other listeners like you can receive powerful, life-changing teaching. We appreciate that effort, and we hope you'll join us again in the next episode of Kingdom Encounter.